Hi, I'm Namita Ramani, founder of Above Digital, and you're listening to Successful Marketing, a small business podcast. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our very first guest, Nia Ferrier. Nia is founder of Ashtanga Yoga Dubai and owner of Nilaya House. She got into yoga after a 10-year of corporate role as a PR account director for a corporate company. And now she's a devoted student of yoga philosophy and a committed teacher of Maestro style. Nia, thank you so much for accepting my invitation to come on this podcast and sharing your journey and story. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about Nia, the small Nia, the growing up Nia. How did uh, the corporate job start and a little bit of background about you? Mm, sure. Well, I was born in Sydney in Australia, so that's where I'm from originally, even though I've lived away from Australia for about 15 years now. And um, probably my biggest childhood memory was a lot of ballet. That's what I said. So apparently, I came home from school after seeing somebody do a flamenco dance at school and okay. said my, told my mother I wanted to start flamenco. And she said, well, I don't know if there's any flamenco classes, but um, how about ballet? Okay. So I started ballet when I was 14 and uh, sorry, when I was four and ended up dancing until I was 17. So you got really serious into ballet. I did. And there was a period of time when I was probably in my mid-teens when my ballet teacher said, Maybe she could go on to be professional, um, but that didn't happen because I became interested in lots of other things. Like? Uh, maybe boys. <laughs> no, but also I loved, I actually loved school and I was quite academic at school. And so I think to, to focus on something like ballet, you need to, that needs to be the only thing that you do, yeah. where I felt like there were lots of other things that I wanted I'm to do. I'm glad you didn't pursue ballet only because I'm then really <laughs> you wouldn't be here and teaching us yoga. So yeah. So I then I went on to university and I studied communication communications and uh, with a major in public relations and that was the plan was to do that degree get a job in a PR company which I did mm -hmm. and I worked in a PR company for a few years in Sydney and then I masterminded my transfer to Asia. I had come up with the idea that I wanted to go and live in Shanghai. I was very interested in Shanghai. In fact, I was a Sinophile. I was obsessed with China. I'd spent a lot of time down in Chinatown in Sydney. I started learning Mandarin. Wow. Chinese. So you can speak Mandarin? No, only a little bit. <laughs> and, um, and then I asked my company, could I get a transfer to Shanghai? And they said, well, Actually, we don't have anything in Shanghai now, but how about Hong Kong? I'd never been to Hong Kong, and I, but I said yes. I, just, I actually couldn't wait to leave Australia. <laughs> I felt my life started when I arrived in Hong Kong at the age of 25. Wow. That's a pretty good, quick transition, you know, like... Okay, and then um, you were in Hong Kong for how many years then? So I was in Hong Kong for three years mm -hmm. and I enjoyed it very much. I was working in the, the PR company there. And it was in that time though that I started practicing yoga more seriously. But there's a story behind that, how that happened, right? Would you be able to share what, how the transition happened from... I remember uh, when we met before you shared about how you got into partying and enjoying the Hong Kong Langkwai Pong Street and stuff and how then... Yeah, I mean, I was leading a pretty um, typical Hong Kong expat lifestyle, which is very much work hard, party hard. Yeah, um, I've been to Hong Kong a couple of times and yeah. I really enjoyed the Langkwai Pong Street. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. And for a while, I was really enjoying it as well. And things were going very well. I had a great job. I was traveling. Um, 
but there was a feeling I had inside of that was growing this feeling of is this all there is 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 and I could see that the path that could be laid out in front of me which is to just keep working in the company rising up through the ranks yeah. get married settle down and inside of me there was a feeling like is is this all there is Anyway, things got kind of thrown up in the air when I had a big breakup with somebody that I thought was that life was going to be just laid out yeah. like that. And that made me question a lot of things about myself, mm -hmm. about my future direction. And I looked at my lifestyle, actually, yeah. and I realized that the the working hard and throughout the week and then playing how it was like this this wheel that I was caught in. I mean, I guess now that I've studied yoga philosophy, you'd say this is the what the the cycle, the, the cycle of life, the, the samsara, yeah. and it's called a samsara, meaning a, a cycle of suffering yeah. that you follow a yoga path to actually break out of. I didn't know that at the time, but it was it was the tipping point to decide to have a, a drastic change of my lifestyle, which firstly was to take one month off without drinking alcohol, which seemed at the time like this huge thing to do because I actually couldn't remember a weekend in the last, you know, five years that I hadn't been out to parties and it had become very much just part of my life and what I did. And I think for a lot of people as well, it was, yeah. you know, not something people were actively questioned. Yeah. Um, and I realised that if I was going to make big changes, that was... That was kind of the starting point. And so what happened from that is I suddenly had a lot of extra time because to stop drinking alcohol actually meant I had to stop going out. I had yeah. to stop socialising because at that period of time it was really impossible for me to go out into a social situation and not accept a glass of wine. Yeah. So I had to isolate myself, yeah. which is kind of lonely actually. Yeah. But I, I, there was a feeling within me like I was on the verge of something I was going into new territory yeah. and so I had extra time I was waking up without a hangover so I was able to start going to yoga every day and that's when I started practicing Ashtanga yoga up until then I'd always I had been doing some yoga but it was like just a hobby it wasn't a life it wasn't a way of life it was just you know one day would be the gym one day would be a yoga class it hadn't become part of who I was. You tried different kinds of yoga. How did you yeah. land to Ashtanga yoga to be the path to choose for the... Well, funny enough, my whole... The way I chose which yoga place to go to at that time was a, to choose the cheapest. <laughs> so there was a place down the road. It was a big, like a yoga gym. They offered like 200 classes a day. They had a very cheap membership. I signed up so I could go as often as possible because during that month, I think I was going morning and evenings. Like I was really... All into it. Getting into it. I and mean, it was the Ashtanga that was my, my favorite class. Um, so I was going to that studio and then I found another smaller studio that focused on Ashtanga and I would also go there as well. Mm -hmm. And then that studio closed down and I said to the teacher, well, what, um, what are you going to do now? And I was really upset and shocked and she was like, I guess, very yogic in her approach and just said, well, you know, I'm just going to go back to India. And I was like, what? Where are you going in India? And she said, I'm going to Mysore. And I said, where's Mysore? And she said, oh, well, that's that's where Ashtanga Yoga comes from. Yeah. And at that moment, even though I'd only been practicing probably for a couple of months at that stage, I yeah. thought, well, I'm going to go to Mysore. 
that that's where I'm going to go. And um, so before I got there, I decided to take, I thought, let's just test out this India thing. Because I'd done a lot of travel in Asia up until I'd traveled all throughout Southeast Asia by that point. But India, in my mind, had always, I'd been interested in it, but I felt a bit nervous mm-hmm. about going to India, yeah. um, particularly. And at that stage, it would be alone. Yeah. And so I signed up to go on a, a trip, um, a, like a, a, a guided tour to Rajasthan and I had two weeks in Rajasthan and we're coming to the end of that trip and uh, everyone was feeling oh we're sad we're sad we're leaving India and I was like I'm not sad I know I'm coming back (laughs) and so I came back planned to resign my job and then organized for from so that was December and by March I'd left Hong Kong to go to India for six months. That's a sudden you just decided I'm going to resign and head to India. I mean, it wasn't so. It was wasn't it scary or? It, no, it wasn't scary. It was, but to put it into context, you know, I was a young woman unattached with savings and no dependents. Yeah. So it was the perfect time of life to take a step like that. You know, there was, there was no risk involved. I, and I've, I'm very lucky that I've always had a, a wonderful relationship with my family. So I always knew that what's the worst that can happen, you know. I end up going and sleeping on my parents' floor, which yeah. I have done <laughs> many times now since that. But suddenly when looking at it through in that, I was like, you know, resign. And I knew that I was, I was educated, that I'd reached a certain level in my career, that I could take a break and doors would still be open for me. So yeah. I knew I would always be able to find a job with it again. Yeah. Considering that you have a nice, you know, because in PR, you're all well connected, you have a strong social circle and everybody knows you. And you Well, it, was, it wasn't so much that, it's just the particular type of PR I specialized in was technology PR then. And in that period of the year, of the sort of mid 2000s, that was the really hot type of PR to be in because it was when all the tech companies were making front page news. So when you sort of specialize, you've got a particular expertise that it's easier to. So in fact, I went after that six months in India, I went back to Australia. I shipped all my things back to Australia from Hong Kong. And the plan was to just get a job back in another agent PR agency. And I went and had a number of interviews and was offered jobs on the spot because I had this good experience. And I just couldn't say yes to any of them. And I was saying, "Mm, maybe just for a couple of months or maybe contract work. And I realized I just wasn't. So what happened in Mysore? Well, I just really fell in love with the practice of yoga. And it was I was reading and practicing. And um, I had three months in Mysore. And I spent some other time visiting some other ashrams around India as well. And I had a very deep calling within that I didn't know where this was going to lead me. I certainly wasn't thinking that I wanted to teach yoga at that point. That was very far off, far off. I just knew at this point in my life, I need to spend time deepening this. And so I went back to Sydney, said no to these jobs. Also, I'd fallen in love with somebody that I'd met in Mysore, so that <laughs> that may have helped as well. So, um, yeah, I actually uh, started a relationship with a lovely man from Japan. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to India and we spent the next six months traveling mm-hmm. and practicing and studying yeah. in Mysore as well. 
And uh, that then led to a period of years where I would say, I call them my kind of in-between transient years, where I was doing some contract work in PR as a way to keep getting an income and spending time in India, spending time in Thailand, all linked though by the desire to go to different meditation retreats, spend time in ashrams, spend time in practicing yoga. And around that time, I think it was near the end of 2008, Mm -hmm. I went with Nori to Japan and he was a well-known Ashtanga yoga teacher in Japan and I started teaching with him, doing some assisting, which I think is a... My advice to actually people who are looking to move into yoga teaching, having a, a mentor and somebody who can guide you and you can assist them in their classes is a really wonderful way. And that that lit a little bit a spark. I felt, actually I felt like, okay, this was a giving me a different feeling to the satisfaction. I enjoyed my career in PR. It was very exciting. But this, the teaching felt rewarding in a, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happened after Japan then? Right. Okay. <laughs> we continue. <laughs> yeah. So interestingly, Nori and I were in Japan and then we went back to Singapore. So, yeah, we were in and out of Asia a lot. Yeah. And Nori actually, we both of us were very into Buddhism at okay. that time. And so we were sitting for Vipassana retreats. Okay. And um, so you've done more than one Vipassana retreat? Yes, I've done three. Yeah. The last one was quite a long time ago, but maybe I'll do another one again soon. So you guys were doing this retreat? Yeah, we were becoming very interested in the Buddhist path. Nori, probably more so than me, he was sort of, I guess we'd say, further down his spiritual journey. And the relationship was interesting. I think sometimes you have relationships with people that are romantic, but also they operate on a different level as well. And I think with Nori, he was almost, he was certainly my mentor when it came to teaching yoga, but he was also my mentor in spiritual development as well. So he decided he wanted to go and find a meditation teacher in Thailand, particularly interested in the Theravada Buddhism. And he was interested in finding like a, a forest monk who okay. spent a lot of time meditating in the forest that could really instruct him in, in deep meditation. meditation he got really deep into meditation. Yeah. So, which I was also interested, but not quite yeah. down as far down the path as, yeah. as he was. And that led him to the point to decide that he actually wanted to ordain, which is what he did. So he ordained as a Buddhist monk, wow. which was a monumental thing for to happen for me because I we loved each other very much but I also really supported what he was doing because I believed in what he was doing I at that I really strongly believe that somebody's spiritual evolution is the most important thing to them and sometimes you have to let them go yeah sometimes you have to let them go yeah Yeah, so that's so as much as it hurts you have to let them go yeah it 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 did hurt. Um, it hurt particularly um, talking to people who didn't understand that concept yeah. and having to explain that, no, I was actually okay with it. didn't make it easy, yeah. but it wasn't a case of him choosing to be a monk over choosing me. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like that. Um, so he, he did that, and I had, by that stage, 
I was fallen in love with Nori, but I'd also fallen in love with Japan. <laughs> so I decided that I, I would stay on in Japan. And um, that's actually at that point was really the tipping point from when I went from saying, oh, well, I work in PR and I'm doing a little bit of yoga teaching to actually teaching yoga full-time. Yeah. So I spent some time in Osaka, in Tokyo, and eventually moved to a city called Nagoya, which is the third biggest city in Japan. Mm -hmm. And um, it's the home of Toyota. Okay. <laughs> That's what it's famous for. And I started teaching Ashtanga yoga there and teaching it in the style that you mentioned before that's called Mysore style, which is purely referring to the city that mm -hmm. Ashtanga comes from and started teaching the first Mysore style program, which is where students come and the teacher teach them, teaches them individually yeah. and they move through the yoga practice like a self-practice. Yeah. So that was um, an interesting time because it was the first program. Yeah. Some people had been doing Ashtanga before, but yeah, certainly in Japan. In the big cities, it was very popular, but it was the first time coming to, to that city. Yeah. And so at the beginning, I was very lucky. I had a, a, a studio owner who also practiced Ashtanga and he was very supportive of mm -hmm. starting this program because at the beginning, you're waiting in a room, you're out, you've put the posters out. Yeah. And so this was 2008 yeah. or to, beginning of 2009. So this was, I mean, I didn't, wasn't on Facebook then. I wasn't yeah. that we weren't using things like that. I, I didn't even know how we advertised yeah. for it. Probably just by putting flyers and stuff. Yeah. And each morning I'd just be waiting. There'd be the like students to two show up. students, one student, three students, one student. And it went on like that for maybe a year until I That's a long up. time. Yeah. Until, until we built up a following like of people had, who had oh, 15 students. And that's that was exciting to get to 15 students. Wow. But that that taught me a lot. It, patience, patience <laughs> perseverance, non-attachment to the result. Actually, everything that you learn in your yoga yeah. practice, you your personal it. yoga practice, is then translated then into your nice. teaching as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was. I, I was enjoying being in Japan, but it wasn't an easy life. I wasn't earning very much money. Mm -hmm. um, I would get up and do my own practice at three in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then I would cycle 30 minutes to get to the studio to be there for six o'clock. Okay. So, and that, that was sort of day in, day out. Wow. That's mm -hmm. like dedicated effort to kind of go through that for the whole year and have 15 students. And top, the full house was 15 students. So you're doing all this... I think more it was for you than for like your own self. Uh, teaching is like that. You, it's very rewarding for yourself, but you do it. You do it because you really believe in the method that you're teaching. Mm -hmm. But the two things have to go together. So you're doing your own personal practice, which then gives you the energy and the fuel and the passion to then teach and share with others. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I, that that was a period of time where I guess I was nursing a broken heart mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, you needed that break to kind of heal. And I think I did, although it was a period that I emerged out of realizing that Nori had become the monk, that I didn't need to become a nun yeah. <laughs> because I was living a very austere, ascetic yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. 
And what that transpired in is after sort of two years of living in Japan, I didn't really have any friends. Um, Japan already is a very isolating place to Mm be. Not many people spoke English in Nagoya. I was learning Japanese and I could have little conversations with students. But, you know, I was in my early 30s and I turned around at 33 and thought, is this what I want? For my life and all of a sudden I realized I needed to leave Japan (laughs) (laughs) wow I can already feel the you know what must be going on in the heart at that time yeah it was tricky because I was like this is but you've wanted this you finally build up a program you finally have students you can finally speak a little bit of Japanese and now you wanted to walk away from it yeah but I find once that idea comes, then I know that's the decision made and then it's just a matter of doing it. And so the decision was, okay, after eight years in Asia, Mm -hmm. I felt a very strong calling to be back in Australia and sort of with my tribe in a sense, with my family and friends. So I went back and got a lovely job actually right in Bondi Beach, the famous Bondi Beach. Yeah, and I was essentially working for a studio that was connected to my teacher in Mysore. Mm -hmm. So it was a a really lovely place to be working and uh, that things were going along perfectly until I fell in love again. (laughs) (laughs) And this time with somebody who wanted to travel the world again. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I I was 35 and feeling like, okay, I was just getting ready to be settled. Yeah. But then we started talking about exciting places, like places I hadn't been to yet, like yeah. Myanmar and doing the Trans-Siberian and yeah. Eastern Europe and wow. Turkey. And um, and I, what I realised is I could also visit Japan again on that trip and go and do some teaching. Yeah. And then I had an opportunity to go to Beijing and do some teaching and then I had some opportunity yeah. to go to Moscow and do some teaching. Yeah. So I put together sort of this year trip. Yeah. of visiting places that I'd already always wanted to visit and do some teaching along the way. Interesting. So, And that's what brought me to Dubai. Oh, okay. And then how did the Nilaya house come about? Oh, well, that's quite a few years after. Oh, okay. So you still... So this was one... Dubai was one of the destinations in that whole year-round trip. That was the end point. And it was actually the, the, the person I was traveling with at the time. It was his idea to come to Dubai. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I researched and looked into it, and this was 2012, so yoga studios were just starting to open up in Dubai, Dubai. yeah. And so I started working at a place that I think was probably one of the first ones to open in JLT, actually. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky to get to be sponsored and brought over here and and set up, and um, I'll always be very grateful to the owners of that studio. Um, And they they took a big risk in, as I now know, what it's like to to open something. And uh, so I came and I started working there and then after after a year I decided to start my own program and that's when I started Ashtanga Yoga Dubai. Okay. And that was in 2013. So a year after that, yeah. And then Ashtanga Yoga Dubai was still, you were just freelancing, you didn't have a studio yet. Yeah, so how I would do Your it. practice, not your teaching. Ashtanga Yoga Dubai is the Mysore group of students and what I realized for that is I mean, I didn't need a studio 24 hours. I just needed space 
for a certain period of the day mm-hmm. uh, because the Ashtanga practice is normally done in the mornings. We can do it in the evenings as well, but traditionally we do it in the mornings and I thought I just need it for a space from six till nine o'clock. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky to be able to find um, space within a dance studio. Yeah. So it started there and then things grew and then it evolved to... Um, so how did people find you at that time? Again, I think it was still posters. I'm thinking back really? then. Then I think, and then we're a website. But then Facebook was in, like yeah. 2007 was when Facebook yeah, got in. I was a, probably a late adopter. <laughs> so it was word of mouth mostly word. then. My business has always been, yeah, it's always been word of mouth. I mean, I think um, some uh, website is, was good as well because I was listed on the international directory of Ashtanga Yoga Teachers. Okay. Um, I guess part of this story that I didn't put in was that I kept on going back to Mysore and in 2010 received the official blessing from the guru in Mysore to give me the authorization to teach. Um, and once, and there's, uh, you, there's certain levels of authorization and there's yeah. level one, level two and certification. Mm-hmm. This is in the Ashtanga system. So there's about 40 certified Ashtanga teachers in the world and then there's about 450 at last count, it might be more now, of level two authorised teachers, and which, which is what I am. And actually when I first moved to Dubai, I was the only authorised teacher in the Middle East. But I'm happy to say now there's, there's more authorised teachers now teaching this method. So the space was firstly in the dance studio. Yeah. And then that grew to being in a hotel. And I was actually very content with that setup. Um, the marketing, though, was still very much word of mouth. Yeah. And it was just me. I was just, you know, having to get an income for myself so, and, and pay the rent. Yeah. So the, the, I was still very much wearing the yoga teacher yeah. cap. And that setup was going along absolutely fine until I had a, an, an incident with the, where the hotel I was at, there was some problem with the room that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly realized that it seems like a good business model in the fact that um, I could keep my costs low yeah. and manageable. I didn't have to worry about paying DWAR or, you know, all the costs were contained. But actually, I didn't actually have control over it because it actually wasn't my place and I was always in somebody else's space which I was actually fine with for those um, you know it was almost four years of of running business like that and I would have a little altar you know in Ashtanga Yoga we have a little altar at the front where we set up a little some photos and some candles and that's what makes the focus of the room for doing the yoga and I would literally set that up and put it down each day and I wasn't even questioning Should I stay like this? It was like, this is just what I'm doing. And then it was only because there was this difficulty at at the venue that I suddenly, the seed just planted, maybe maybe it's time to get my own place. place. And and also by this stage, I had something in the marina end of Dubai. And then I had people in Sharjah and Jumeirah who were saying, that's too far for us to drive. So then I had by this stage had an assistant teacher. So I got her to go down to the other end of Dubai. So once I calculated how much rent I was spending in the two places and looking at the amount of students coming from the two places, I realized, okay, maybe it's time. And the funny thing is, is when I very first came to Dubai and I'd gone to see 
Al Sakal Avenue, yeah. which is the arts, you know, area of Dubai. And I liked that area, you know, it, it had a bit of grit. It had a funkiness at the way. Exactly. Yeah. And it was different. And you had these warehouse style spaces. Yeah. I remember I did say at that time, oh, it would be so great to have a, a yoga a studio here. And I must have said it. And I think, I mean, my old flatmate, she just mentioned this to me the other day. She was like, but do you remember, you did actually say that you would love to have a place here. And I think it was one of those things that you say and then just shelved. Mm. I didn't even think, like, it's, yeah. n that wasn't the time. And it wasn't. Like, I would have been crazy to open something there five years ago before I had a student base. Yeah. So that would have been really putting the cup before the horse. It could have worked if I had lots of money. Yeah. to pay the rent of the warehouse and sit and wait for students to come. But I'm not in that position. So yeah. having it evolve in a very organic way of just the students growing and then being able to basically just move in a sense yeah. and set up this um, the, the space. And so that's how Nalaya House came about. So it was essentially a, a, a space for Ashtanga Yoga Dubai to move into, so for my personal teaching. But then I realised as I started looking at warehouse spaces and then found the one that I thought would work for us, that this was going to be a bigger thing than just Ashtanga Yoga yeah. Dubai. And so it, now it's evolved into a yoga school that offers Ashtanga Yoga, Iyanga Yoga, Hatha Yoga, Yin Yoga, about to start Kundalini Yoga, Jiva Mukti Yoga. Wow. And, nice. and now it's much bigger than I ever imagined. And it's almost like it just happened. Yeah. But of course, it didn't just happen. It ha I know. I was and that's what I want to know, actually. Happen. Yeah. How did you make it happen? Because considering the cost of setting up a business, going for the trade license, mm. uh, renting the, the warehouse, I'm sure it's not small money. It must be good money. I don't know if you had enough students to cover up all the cost and to be, it, it was not break even from the start. I'm sure yeah, there was an um, investment. Obviously, there was an initial amount of money that needed to be raised, and I was able to do that through private supporters. Mm -hmm. And that was to cover the fit out because it was an empty shell. Yeah. It's, the, the, it's still a largely an industrial area where I am, mm -hmm. um, but the warehouses can be now used for commercial purposes but that I mean next to me is a catering company across the road is an ice cream factory yeah. so they're all more in production rather than yeah. you know a yoga school I but I just needed a space I, that's what I was looking for was a large space and I knew I didn't want to be in an office yeah. building I thought if I'm going to do it it has to be something a bit a different yeah. different so I needed money for the build which was to put in the bathrooms actually the most expensive thing was putting in the air conditioning yeah. <laughs> that was really important because that had to be done in a very specific way because it needed to keep the place cool yeah. but not blow yeah. on people yeah. and partly also the ashtanga method we keep the room a little bit warm mm -hmm. it's not hot yoga but the warmth comes from the room being te room temperature. temperature being maintained yeah. yeah so that the air conditioning specification that took quite a bit of effort okay. i was really lucky to work with a fantastic contractor called pinnacle who i highly recommend <laughs> and um then the floor, the wooden floor was the second biggest expense because yeah. I knew that had to be a really good quality. So I ended up imp yeah. importing something from, from Germany. Okay. So I raised money to cover that. So you have angel investors who invested yeah. in the business. Not investors. 
Because how would you raise money without invest? Like a loan. Okay. You so borrowed a, money from so a, relatives yes, and friends. Personal loans that I'll be, be paying okay. back. Okay. But I th I thought about the idea of investors. But to be honest, I wasn't actually that convinced of the viability of a yoga school being a good business investment. Yeah. Like it's my dream and it's what I want to do and I'm able to make a, a, an income and a yeah. living from it. But in terms of pitching it out to potential investors as, hey, yeah. invest your money and this is and your, your returns, returns you're going to yeah. get. Like I certainly did. So how did you convince these? Uh... I didn't convince them. It just, to be honest, the, the money came for that. By itself. That came very easily. Mm. That's when I knew I was on the right path, you know. I believe just... that. When things flow, yeah. they're meant to happen. Yeah, that, that, that was the easy part. And actually, ideas and sometimes the initial part of starting a business is the easy part. It's yeah. the doing it yeah. and the maintaining it. Yeah. That True. requires the, the energy. The execution of it. It's the execution, for sure. I mean, people have ideas all the time. Yeah. People start new businesses all the time. Yeah. But seeing it through. But I'm still young. I'm still a new business in a sense. But yeah. so, so let's see where things go. But um, So the raised capital was raised. You got the capital, warehouse. You got but, the fit out. Yeah. I knew that I had to, like, I had to find this warehouse within a, that summer. So it was two summers ago. Yeah. And I was just like a, a crazy woman, just like calling real estate agents on Dubizzle. <laughs> it was yeah. like 45 degree heat, driving and looking at different warehouses. And I just kept saying to my husband, I've got to keep the pedal on the metal yeah. <laughs> because I have to get this done now yeah. because I know how long it's going to take. And yeah. I, my other venue was coming to the end yeah. and I knew I, I wanted that that shift to be seamless. So yeah. um, it was just looking at, looking at place and looking at place and I was feeling a bit despondent, like almost like I wasn't going to be able to find it. Yeah. And then actually a real estate agent recontacted me and said, you know that place you didn't come and see? Why didn't you come and see it? And yeah. then that, that ended up being the right, the right place. And then the fit out started, which was terrifying. <laughs> By that stage it was like, the, the cart had bolted, like the horse had bolted. Yeah. It was out of the stables. Yeah. There was nothing I could do. The you have to let it go. You have to keep I it running. Was, yeah. And, I, and it was interestingly in, in that little um, area of warehouses, there were a few other young entrepreneurs. And I remember talking with this guy down the road and he's like, yeah, once it gets to this stage, you just have to keep putting one step then in front the of the next, other. Yeah, yeah. And my husband each day would be saying, let's go and look at the build, let's go and look at the fit out. Yeah. And I would actually feel sick going and looking at it because that's when I realized that it was actually happening. Happening. Yeah. Um, Are you anytime intimidated? Oh my God, I've spent all this money and this has happened and we don't have enough. The thing I was most nervous about was what the difficult part was having the vision because when you see an empty space in the middle of our course and you're trying to imagine, are people going to come here? Yeah. Because I was moving from a very highly residential area yeah. to a non-residential industrial area. Yeah. So no one lives there. Yeah. So you have to ask people to drive there. Yeah. And you're just looking at this empty warehouse and you can't see now people come in and they see how like yeah. it, it looks beautiful. And so you think, oh, yeah, it's, it's understandable. But when you're looking at an empty space and you don't even know what colors you're painting the walls yeah. and how it's going to come out, that 
Yeah, and I, I would also, I would drive the route for Marina. I would drive it from downtown. From all the directions. I would drive it from all the directions, all times of the day, checking traffic. <laughs> Even though I'd already signed the lease. So yeah, you can't do anything. I was going to do. Um, looking at the parking at all different times of day. and that. You know what you were doing, by the way? You're thinking on how to make your future uh, students, because not yeah. clients, they're students, comfortable in reaching you in the most easy, optimistic way and accordingly set up your classes and stuff so that... Yeah, and I, I thought I, I need to know all of this yeah. information. That's called groundwork, hard work. Yeah, that is that the is. most hard work. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, is when you have this excitement for the project, yeah. the energy for that groundwork just comes. Yeah. Like, you know, the estate agent would call at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon and say, do you want to come and see the warehouse? And it'd be 45 degrees. And I'd say, sure. <laughs> Where normally if somebody, yeah. you know, you're like, no, 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 I think I'll stay inside. Yeah. But there was such... There's a fire inside, kind of. The fire was inside, for sure. Yeah. And um, that's when you start get realising that maybe something is coming through you. Yeah. And you just have to Nowhere did you ever feel the fear of failing or falling or not making it happen or work? Yeah, I did have that fear. Yeah. I did. And perhaps because you're into yoga and you're pretty centered because of the meditation and the practice. But generally others who are not into dedicated practice of meditation and yoga probably feel much more. (laughs) I don't, yeah, I don't know what other people feel, but I can definitely say that my yoga practice was what supported me. Um, And I would, yeah, I would have sit for meditation and I would ask for guidance. And the thing with the, the purpose for a yoga practice is it gives you clarity and it gives you insights that you otherwise would not be able to see. And when you ask for questions, you can get the answers because your mind has become cleared and you've become open to receiving those answers. So So intuition is generally higher when you are actually practicing on a regular basis, I guess. But otherwise also, I mean, I believe that entrepreneurs have some special gut. (laughs) And um, you can feel and sense if you're on the right path, if it's not right. Many of my decisions are based on just how I... I feel like I can't explain it to somebody, but I feel this is right, which is also why I didn't want investors because I really didn't want to have to answer to somebody because I was like, and it's not just because I'm an authoritarian, but just... Because you want the freedom to make decisions yourself, otherwise you're answerable, right? Yeah, as soon as the investors are involved, I maybe have people saying, well, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? And... I always actually take a very big picture view of things. So I will have classes on in the, the school that, met, that an investor might turn around and say, well, why is that class running? No one's coming to it and it's not profitable and da-da-da. Well, I'm like, I don't care. It's there because I believe in it. It's yeah. needed. It's important. And it's all, it's all interconnected. It's yeah. all coming together as to what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So always the the objective for Nalaya House was, yes, I would like it to be profitable. I'm still currently repaying those loans. Yeah. So that's coming along. How many years has it been? Nalaya House is now open? Now 18 months. Okay. Yeah. And we fortunately 
have been able to cover our costs, which I, in this market, I feel very grateful yes, for. Um, but the, so the making money part, of course, is the secondary. The primary objective of what I always keep the center of my mind is, that, is to create a space that is for people to feel comfortable to start practicing yoga, yeah. but also for people to go deeper into their yoga practice. So, which means sometimes adding on workshops and classes, which might be a little bit on the fringe and people don't know so much about it, but that's part of it. That's yeah. part of the exploration, not always going with what I know will just fill up the yeah. classes, but doing things that uh, people won't find elsewhere. Yeah. And um, then how did you hire the help? Like, you can't be teaching all the classes all the time. Well, yeah, I pretty much was at the beginning. <laughs> no, I was very lucky when I first started that already I had my uh, other teacher, Alexi. So uh, he would do the evenings and I would do the mornings. And, yes, I was very lucky that I already had existing students. So yeah. I don't know how I would have opened if I... You, it was I, just you. Just and, uh, and right at the yeah. beginning. Um but I still didn't know if everyone was going to move because for some people they lived in Marina and yeah. I was asking them now, you know, to do a bit of a drive. Yeah. And most people moved. Some people didn't. Some people didn't have cars. That was yeah. the other thing. I'm not near, yeah. not close to public transport, yeah. so that felt a bit risky. Yeah. But I did some research and um, I sent out a survey actually before really making the decision and I found out that actually my students come from all over Dubai. Yeah. So that meant they're coming for something specific rather than it's just because it's the closest yoga studio. Yeah. They want to come for the practice, for this particular kind yeah, of practice. So they'll drive from anywhere. To in Dubai, that's what it's like. If you want to go somewhere, you, you, you get make an effort to go. You make an effort and go. If your product is good, then people, people, go. people will come. Yeah. So when I start, opened, I didn't have the internet. <laughs> I didn't have a receptionist. Yeah. I think I had I had towels. That was a big decision. Should I have towels? Because I'd put in these nice change rooms, yeah. and everyone was used to um, the the five star facilities yeah. in the hotel. Yeah. And it was a big debate uh, between me and um, and some of my um, you know people who were helping me. Yeah. And some people were saying, no, you don't need towels. People can just bring their own towels. And others were saying, no, 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 you've got to have towels. Yeah. But my budget was so tight that even the thought of like spending money on getting the towels was like, can I afford it? Yeah. And then eventually I realized like, okay, I think I can afford towels. <laughs> but the idea was to open in such a basic way that my overheads right from the start were low. as low as possible. I mean, people were saying to me, Oh, you know, when you do your cash flow, when you do a business plan, you need to plan for six months of working capital. You need to plan for your salary for six months. And, and I was like, well, that's great, but I don't, I don't have that. Like I have, to, I have to hit the ground running right from the start. So it also meant I didn't have a sign for out the front. So people were arriving like, getting all lost in our cause, getting lost in the warehouse complex, coming in and saying, why didn't you have a sign? I was like, you know, that's 3,000 dirhams for that sign. I'll wait until I've got that money in the yeah. bank because I, I don't know how the next few months are going to go. Yeah. Um, so you don't need everything in one go. Things can come slowly and gradually as things progress. Well, 
I guess in my case, I don't know for, I don't know whether this is the advice I'm giving other people. I was lucky because I had the loyalty of long-term students who understood the journey that I was on. And, and also everyone was excited to be in the new space. And also it had a, it, it's called Nalaya House for a reason. It, it's, it's a personal feel. Nalaya is like a, a derivative of, of a Sanskrit word meaning, um, uh, peaceful, like yeah. a peaceful home, mm -hmm. not just peaceful in a home, but like a refuge. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted it to be. Like you've got this busy city, you've got this in gritty industrial area yeah. and you get there and it feels like coming into a home. Yeah. So everything in the the yoga school is like hand-picked by yeah. me from like the door handle that I f of the hand that I found in Mumbai at Chaw Bazaar to the tiles on the wall in the bathroom was because I was driving out to Dragon Mart every second weekend <laughs> choosing the tiles yeah. every little thing you know the doors on the the handles on the bathroom doors I would say to the contractor what handles are we going to put on the bathroom doors mm. and they'd send me a photograph because they were used to doing offices they'd never done a yoga yeah. school before yeah. and they'd send me photos of just like a corporate door handle yeah. and I'd be like no 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 that's not it that has to be something yeah. and I was very lucky I was very along the way supported by wonderful suppliers and actually a lot of people talk about their nightmare stories yeah. of working with contractors yeah. and suppliers this is the most positive story I've heard so far. <laughs> I, my contractor, they were noticing things that I wasn't. I wasn't. They were. I never ever had to crack the whip. I never. If anything, they were calling me. Yeah. They were amazing. And then I had other beautiful things of where I had a a carpenter who was doing some woodwork for me, and yeah. he ended up creating this. We decided to use bamboo. A big part of building the shala was to use sustainable and eco-friendly. Yeah products so he suggested bamboo because it's a natural sustainable resource it's also naturally water resistant yeah. so that's what we decided to use for the the bathroom mm -hmm. cabinets and taking on that bamboo theme he then created this yoga mat yeah. um storage case made completely from bamboo it was like a work of art yeah. like it was unbelievable and I hadn't created it like he had come up with this idea and it was like his gift to the shala yeah. it was it was beautiful yeah. so I don't know sometimes doing things on a budget means you have to be more, more creative, creative. <laughs> yeah. the, the the furniture in the chill out area and that was a big part of the design that I wanted space for the yoga but also space for people to be able to just sit around and have a chat that was the one thing I never got to have when we had it at the hotels yeah. it was very much in and out yeah. where I wanted to create a place that had a sense of a you know a, a community yeah. so the the furniture there is made from pallets and now one of my students has a pallet factory. So he delivered the pallets. Okay. My husband and I spent the weekend sanding the pallets, whitewashing them. So it's like um, a lot of your own touch, like everything is everything. made with a lot of love and heart. And I guess that's how every entrepreneur. Yeah, and when you don't have the money, you have to do it that Yourself. way. But yeah. the beauty is, is then you get these things that are probably more creative yeah. than if I had have just, you know, gone to, to Ikea. Yeah. I was also felt... Ethically, I wanted to try and get secondhand things. Why go and buy new things? So I was looking at, I got mirrors off Dubizzle, a storage cabinet, a, 
a rug. Yeah. That took a lot of effort, actually. The do-bizzle thing, you've got to drive out everywhere. <laughs> so how do you get attract these amazing partners who come in, co-teach with you and partner with you here? Teachers. And a, yeah. Yeah, that's also interesting as that happens a lot from intuition that I feel like the right people get put in my path. So I tend to meet people and I will get a good feeling about them. I'm not always right, to be honest, mm -hmm. but so far with all my teachers, I've been really blessed. Mm -hmm. But in saying that, it's not just a basis of good feeling. I mean, when somebody sends me uh, an email of wanting to teach, I normally, I have a few questions that I send back in terms of how long they've been practicing yoga, how long they've been teaching yeah. yoga. And that actually is then the decider as to whether we take a step further. And so I had made it, um, one of the things I really wanted to do with Nalaya House is to make sure that the teachers have a lot of experience. Yeah. So, so I have some new teachers because I also want to um, mentor and, and grow new teachers yeah. as well. But certainly for our teachers that are certified within the Iyengar and the Ashtanga tradition, they have more than 10 years teaching experience, mm -hmm. which in Dubai is almost a little bit of a rarity sometimes yeah. to go to a class with a teacher that has experience that, that much that teaching experience, not just practice experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what do you do to keep to the teachers? What do you do to retain the teachers? Mostly everybody, in, I don't know how it works in your industry. Are people supposed to be full-time or they're freelancers? or? Yeah, teachers, most yoga teachers will work at a few different places as well as teaching privately. Um, I believe in paying teachers fairly. Mm, is what makes them stay with I don't know whether it's what makes that, but I think right from the outset I like to have a very direct and open discussion about the payment um, and come to terms that is satisfying for them. Yeah, yeah because there can, there's no point in somebody agreeing to something with down the track that they realise the effort involved is just not worth it. And I also feel like there's an investment and on behalf of both parties yeah. so when you're starting a new class I know from experience because as I mentioned in Japan where I was sitting there and waiting for students it can yeah. it can take time and because I've been on that journey myself as a teacher I know things take time but that doesn't mean they're not going to happen however now I'm wearing the hat as of a business owner so I have to balance you know being able to invest and wait for things to take time with also having an income as well yeah. so yeah and what do you do to keep the students coming back I think it's the practice that makes them come back yeah for that I don't have too much control yeah <laughs> I've learned over the years you can have students who are loving the yoga and coming and committed and then they disappear and I don't see them and then they might come back again but but how do you sustain the business then if people yeah. come and go like that? Well, Dubai is a transient place anyway. So always there'll be people leaving. Yeah. And that used to be something I used to, it was really hard for me because, um, 
you know, you, you, you like your students and you're enjoying seeing the, the progress they're making yeah. and the change in their lives. Um, and, but pretty much every summer before the summer here in Dubai, people will say, oh, by the way, we're moving to Zurich or, we're, you know, that's what people do here. Yeah. They come for a few years and they leave. Yeah. That's changing. Um, people stay back longer here now. It's yeah. like becoming home now. Yes. And I've, that was actually one of the reasons why I felt okay about starting a permanent yoga studio because I felt like the I feel like the demographic of Dubai is changing where people are staying for longer um, I have students in their 50s and 60s who for them Dubai is is home at the moment um, and the other thing is is there's a lot more young working professionals here before they before the summer I think things would completely clear out and I probably wouldn't even bother running classes but there's enough people still around who yeah. you know who don't go away for the whole summer yeah. they might be in and out yeah. over, over the summer period but they still want to do classes while they're here yeah. so people are always leaving people are always coming uh yoga is still new in dubai i mean we're not talking about a saturated market like yeah. uh like uh, the us or australia but even in saying that Yoga is going under, I mean, I was just in London and visiting a few yoga schools there and that's a big city and it has a lot of yoga studios yeah. and there's more coming, like one, another chain of yoga schools. Room for more. It's, it's, it's still growing. And so. there's always enough business also, I feel, everywhere. People want more comfort, they want things around their area, so it's kind of... And these big cities are crowded, so there's a lot of people living as well, right? I mean, I think it's it's only going to grow. Yeah. Because particularly in this market here, we have people who know what yoga is. We have people who don't know what yoga is. You have people that have heard about it but haven't tried it yet. Yeah. Um, in Australia, I would say yoga classes are almost 50-50 when it yeah. comes to men and women. That's still not the case here, no yeah. way. There's still a lot of men who are yet to come and try yoga. Um, Arab population as well, becoming more and more interested. So I, I feel like there's there's still great potential. So what's the future? What's the grow? What's the future of Nilaya House? Like how how do you plan to grow it now? Or we're still 18 months yeah. old, so we still have so lot of yeah. yeah. I'm still, actually, to be honest, I'm still building up the schedule. Mm. So I opened with a basic schedule with mainly Ashtanga yoga and then I started, I created a space downstairs to focus specifically on the Iyengar yoga method, which uses a lot of props. Um, and just now this weekend over Eid, actually, we're closing the studio to do some renovations. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually I'm expanding that room. So that's exciting because that meant it's gone from a couple of students to a few more students to realizing that room needs to be bigger. a little bit bigger. Yeah. But part of my um, the, the commitment for Nalaya House is that we do have we do keep class sizes reasonably small. Mm -hmm. That's um, one of the things that I wanted to have students coming and feeling like they're getting a really nice level of interaction and guidance from a teacher, not just being like a, a number in the room, you know, yeah. not that sort of gym style yoga where you just get packed in and the teacher doesn't really know your name or who you are or yeah. what your medical history is. So that's growing. And now after the summer, we'll start adding on a few more different styles. Okay. Um, but what about, do you have any vision for like five year or 
or a 10-year plan or a business plan? You know what? I don't do plans. <laughs> <laughs> you just I let the flow. I don't for my own life. Yeah. What I do is I have, I guess, what I see as my mission, mm -hmm. like my uh, what I want to do. Yeah. So, so now it is... I want Nalaya House to be a place of, of learning, of, of learning of yoga. Yeah. Again, how that evolves, yeah. I'll see. Mm -hmm. But definitely one thing is, is that I want to grow the shop. Mm -hmm. um, more shopping experience. Yeah, no, not just because I'm thinking, oh, you know, let's sell some yoga leggings to the people yeah. coming in. Yeah. But actually, it's, again, it's, because of some things that I really believe in. I want, I feel that firstly Dubai is very, has great shopping malls, but quite lacking in little boutiques. Yeah. And I think it's starting to happen with the market scene here. You've seen in the last few years, a lot of really great local brands mm -hmm. from doing handmade jewelry, handmade soaps, handmade yeah. cosmetics. Yeah. I love markets and shopping at markets and I love shopping at little boutiques yeah. where you can find locally made, organic, natural, eco-friendly. Um, and I feel like that is a growing interest of people here, which is fantastic. And so I would like to have more space in the Liar House for um, setting aside for those type of things. So I'm actually thinking of doing maybe a pop-up market mm -hmm. soon that we'll have like just over the weekend getting in some... some so you brand. think the PR experience that you had comes in a little bit, quite a bit handy. I think it, it I think I'm it sure does. it does. It's a different PR world to when I was in PR. When I was in PR, I was writing press releases and sending them out by fax. Yeah. <laughs> so the social media aspect, I still find reasonably challenging because I think a lot of people do because it's changing so quickly. I also find it can be a wonderful way of connecting people, but I can find it really contrived as well. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the games that you people have to play to get their post seen, yeah. I find a bit ugh, yeah. like coming from a yoga perspective where we try and speak yeah. the truth and then you see like Crab House Dubai. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> some, some, yeah. some business that has absolutely no connection yeah. to my business write a comment at the bottom and you know that's not yeah. written by a person. It's yeah. written by a... That, that's what I've just been told recently. Yeah. It's been written by a, a robot. Yeah. So I, I find that part challenging and I've been advised, okay, well, if you want to get more followers, you've got to go and like other people's things and you've yeah. got to write comments. And I said, well, I'll only do that if I actually do like it and yeah. I'll only write the comment yeah. if I actually mean the comment. Organic growth. <laughs> it's Yes, so you the, the... Coming on that, you want to share with us a little bit about the new, the other business that you have, which is Only Earth Organics. Yes. How did that come about? Well, that was... And that's been sort of running along in the background for the last couple of years. Yeah. But now it's nice because I've got the chance to actually showcase those products in at your house. Yeah. So this is really just a, a, a passion. I love textiles from India. And um, I had seen a documentary a few years ago that I would say was life-changing called The True Cost. Mm -hmm. And it was about the fast fashion industry. And that really opened my eyes to basically the cost of consuming you know, I used to be somebody who would go to like a Zara and H&M and think, wow, how fantastic this dress for only yeah. this much. Yeah. Because also, you know, being a yoga teacher, I'm 
really living on a budget. Yeah. So those things would seem fantastic. And then I started understanding that they're that cheap because people aren't being paid properly for these things. And there's a lot of cruelty as well. Yeah, it's, it's at somebody's cost. Yeah. The fact that I can wear something, that we can wear things in the West, you know, recently somebody launched a one pound bikini. Yeah. I mean, how does that work? It works because somebody is not being paid at the other end and they're working in, you know, very unethical conditions. Yeah. So that opened my eyes to the fast fashion. And then part of that documentary was looking at organic cotton. Yeah. And I suddenly really, it was like a light bulb moment of, oh yeah, I mean, we're so interested in organic food and you eat organic food for your own health, but you also eat it because you're protecting the earth yeah. for minimizing the pesticides that are going into the earth. Well, cotton is one of the biggest crops that we have and the use of the growth of conventional cotton uses an extreme amount of pesticides yeah. and it goes into the soil, it goes into the water, waterways yeah. so I suddenly realized okay and part of the interest I had is because I spend a lot of time in India and India is a huge producer of cotton yeah. and I started feeling like if I was truly like living my yoga in terms of having compassion for those around me compassion yeah. for the earth switching to organic food for my own health is one thing but looking into wearing organic cotton as much as possible. And then the next stage was, okay, why not create a product yeah. that creates demand for organic cotton? Because if these farmers are making the switch yeah. to, and it's a big thing to switch to start growing organic cotton, you've got to let your soil lie fallow for, I think, seven years before you can. Yeah. So they need to be supported. They need to be supported by the Western world in demand for these products. Yeah. So these all ideas all came together when I was on a trip to Rajasthan okay. and saw just the beautiful hand-block printed fabrics that they do there. Mm -hmm. and, and my husband and I thought, okay, let's start doing bedding. And originally we had all these ideas, okay, we're going to do the pillows and the duvet covers and the quilts, yeah. and it became really overwhelming and really complicated. So we've just simple, um, simplified it to just a quilt, yeah. which is actually what I use now in summertime under the air conditioning. It's just like a lightweight quilt yeah. and it's the perfect yeah. uh, consistency. Yeah. But people in Europe use quilts as well. So they might use that like at the end of the bed over the duvet. Mm -hmm. So, we use this a lot in India. And you use it a lot common, in India. Yeah, yeah, it's a common... Uh... So we started um, just selling at markets and that got really exhausting <laughs> and now I don't have so much time selling at markets. So now it becomes part of what... And that kind of... Actually, it was the only Earthkind fabrics that set the, the theme, I guess, for having the boutique. I mean, when I opened... Nalaya house I wasn't planning to have a boutique yeah. <laughs> but then I put my quilts in and then I think what else happened somebody had some other products oh one of the students was making some organic skincare yeah. she said can I put those in yeah. um, and now it's just evolved and now I, and seeing the response from students that they actually really value having access to these type mm -hmm. of things yeah. um, people now sometimes come and do a little bit of gift shopping because they know they can get awesome. things there that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else anywhere else. so that's an area I'm interested in growing but it's an area I probably know the least about because yeah. I think retail has its own 
science in terms yeah. of managing stock and yeah. inventory. It's a different but, kind of a business altogether. Yeah, but I'm really lucky. I mean, I didn't mention this before, but I do have a business partner. Mm-hmm. She's a like a she's actually my very close friend, and they say you shouldn't do business with friends, yeah. but actually it really works because we know each other very well. I trust her completely, and she understands me okay. and understands right from the beginning you have a business partner. Not right from the very beginning. Near towards the end, she actually came in at the end when I realized I need somebody to help with the financial mm-hmm. side. Um, trying to do everything. Uh, you, you, can't, you have to do everything by yourself at the beginning because sometimes you don't have that support. Yeah. But I was lucky that she came in. To, so actually right around the time that Dubai bought in paying tax. So yeah. <laughs> I, I need somebody to help ma- manage the finances. But yeah. she's almost like uh, we will have discussions about things, but in terms of how the business runs... That's all on your responsibility. Yeah. If I ask you three things in your business you would do different, are there any three things that you would do differently now that you can see this whole thing ready in front of you? Yeah, I think one thing I really learned along the way, um, there was, I was um, probably leaving things in the hands of the PROs and things other to people, yeah. other people when, and there were some problems that I came up against with things not getting approved and, mm-hmm. and I was kind of like chasing them and they were chasing somebody else. And actually things got moving a lot better when I just went and did it. Mm. (laughs) So even though I said just then that you can't do everything, sometimes it is actually worth finding information, especially like what you're mentioning, that groundwork stage, to do as much groundwork yourself personally. And I think maybe I was a little bit nervous about going in and meeting with the different government departments here. But then once I started doing it, I realized that actually... It's easier. It's much easier. And because I was hearing the... Got to hear the information firsthand. And I found people extremely helpful and supportive. And I had really, really nice experiences. I had this lovely woman I always remember in DED. And I was going in with all these questions. I was all confused because there's no manual, right? There's nothing saying... you do this and then you, you have to this. go figure it out yourself figuring it out and she was like hey Bibi why didn't you just come and talk to me right at the very oh. beginning and I was thinking yeah why didn't I yeah. so that would probably be one thing I would if I do things again just straight away go in and and talk rather than you know trying to yeah. get the information by from people who are maybe the professionals yeah. but hearing it first. making the effort yourself I think we become because yeah. you're wearing so many hats and trying to do everything you want to just try to give something away but I think it's a good idea to set up that you do yourself the groundwork of at least the government work three and now I've got to think of two more other things yeah. that I do differently yeah. maybe I'll have to report back in a year's time <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, even that one thing is, uh, I mean, looks like in your business, everything has come as a flow. It has just happened. The path is like the minute you're ready and the path is constructed. So that's how your business has so far. Business, I shouldn't say that business. That's how Nilaya House has come about. The way uh, the whole center and everything. It's, it was meant for you and the path was carved as you started walking on it, I guess. This is what I understand from the... Well, 
I mean, I get, I'm probably leaving out like a bit of, you know, the the sleepless nights and... You did have sleepless nights, apart from... But over funny little things, like really what colour to paint the walls was really stressing me out. Maybe that's a girl thing. We want everything very perfect and very, you know, so... And I think it is this wearing the many hats. And what I realise is that sometimes I was saying to myself, I think I need to hire an interior designer. I'm not a designer. I'm not a designer, I kept on saying. And then I just realized, like, well, I can't afford to hire an interior designer. I can't afford to pay somebody to work out what colors to paint the walls. Yeah. Maybe I can do it. In fact, I know what I like. Yeah, let's do it. And then just releasing myself of this, you know, limiting the what the words, and words are very powerful, yeah. And which is another thing that I would say why having a yoga meditation practice is so beneficial during this time of creating a business because when you practice yoga and sit for meditation you become very acutely aware of what's happening in your subconscious Mm -hmm. and so you can start noticing very quickly words or phrases that potentially could be limiting and and prevent you from growing and, and developing further you can quickly pick up on it and say, no, I'm not actually, I'm not, I'm going to drop that. Yeah. I'm not going to go down that route. I'm actually not going to listen to these seeds of doubts. Other people's words left a big impact as well yeah. because I had a lot of support, but I had, a, I had some people very close to me who said that I shouldn't do what, what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And that was actually very tough. That was stronger than I expected. Yeah. Those words reverberated in my mind. And you get scared. Yes. When your own friends and family don't support you? Yes. You start doubting. Like, you am start I doing the right thing? But I would definitely say because having that grounding in a, a daily meditation practice, mm-hmm. you can nip these things in the bud quickly. Yeah. Otherwise, they can overwhelm you and then you get paralyzed. Yeah. Um, but I do firmly believe that sometimes doing too much planning can be to your detriment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plans need to be there, but they need to be like a in the big, you need to have the overall idea of what you're doing. Yeah. The minutiae, the little stuff, that will sort itself out. You'll yeah. deal with it when you get to it. Correct. To yeah. start like writing sort of this list of all these little things, yeah. um, that's when you can get absolutely paralyzed. And I see that a lot of, in talking to a lot of people, in, just over the last 18 months of friends who have, talked about wanting to start something mm-hmm. um most of the time it then it goes but what about this about what about this what about this? you get overwhelmed by the thought of all the things that you have to do yes and then that leads to inaction yeah. so well just linking back to what i was mentioning before about the, the many people have ideas yeah. but it's the, the actually getting them done yeah but I'm a bit of, I'm a star, my star sign is um, Turian. Okay. So Turians are known for being reasonably pragmatic and grounded and I can be a bit of a bull. <laughs> 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 so I can get things done. <laughs> You're the executor. Okay, you, you, we should, if, if we want to get something done, we should get to New <laughs> But I would say um, <laughs> at the beginning I had to do a lot of things by myself and it's been really nice now having the business grow to be able to involve other people to support support. me yeah and 
that's also been a huge learning for me of how to manage things but also how to let go and that's a continual balancing act definitely yeah true last uh, question uh, three advice for other entrepreneurs and small business owners you wish you would you had been given what would you like to advise other businesses who are listening to you now yeah probably those points that i said before like do the groundwork as much as possible by yourself mm-hmm. rather than relying on 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 others um Practice yoga and meditation. <laughs> if possible, start yoga and meditation yeah. before you start your business. Yeah. And I think that that's a message that I what I try and give my students is that it's easy to do your yoga. Or it's easy to sit for meditation when life is is going smooth. Yeah. But each time you do your yoga practice, you get on the meditation cushion, that is an investment for when things are not difficult. Going right, yeah. You're building a mental resilience yeah. that you're going to need to draw on at some point. Yeah. And whether that's through ups and downs and the vicissitudes of running your own business or whether it's through emotional yeah. effort. So it's like water the garden, plant the seeds and grow those plants and put the roots down and make yeah. them really strong and then you've got that yeah, foundation people are usually when they are in the in the worst time of their life or going through the toughest that's when they go go into yoga and meditation i guess so yeah and if you're going in there it, it, that that is a great time to start and it certainly that's when i started but i was so grateful for during the period of starting the business that it was firmly established yeah. because that more morning period that i would have to myself on the mat where I still of course thoughts are coming and going and sometimes in that really busy period I'd have to just stop and go and <laughs> write things down yeah. um but it gave me like a brief reprieve but I could feel the difference like you when you have got a a regular yoga practice there's this it's a centeredness it's a, like a a groundedness that is there yeah that you, you can uh, you can ride the storm a little easier. Certainly I know in comparison to obviously I'm a little bit older than wiser than when I first started yoga, but definitely starting my own business at this time in my life was the right mm-hmm. time for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and your story. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. I hope you got some insights and learning from Mia's story and journey and some new uh, things that you can apply to your business if you're going through a challenge or a situation. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast because the more you rate and review from whatever channel you're watching, we can reach to more and more people. Please do share with podcasts with other businesses or other friends and people you think can benefit from this conversation. Thank you for listening and see you next week.